Glad that you're here with us. We have been considering King Jesus. Uh, Going back to January, we've been talking about Jesus and his kingdom, and we are going to be transitioning a bit today as we look at the advancing kingdom of Jesus. It's a kingdom, frankly, that is open to all. This isn't just a, a closed group. This is constantly open, that if you would acknowledge your need for Jesus, if you would say, you know what, I have a sin problem that separates me from God, that he says, then if you acknowledge that and you trust my son, I include you into my family. I include you into a kingdom, and it is a kingdom that is advancing. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles with me today to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. If you want to use the Bible sitting in front of you, we're going to be on page 911, 911, or your Bible, your app, your phone, whatever it is, but let's open to the book of Acts. We are going to be going through this book over the next few weeks, and what we're going to see specifically today is that God is advancing his kingdom Through his family. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down that God is advancing his kingdom through his family. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about different ways how God advances this kingdom that Jesus is the king of. It's a kingdom that's right here, but it's a kingdom that will last for all eternity. And one of the things I want you to hear today is that God is advancing this kingdom even today as we speak through his family. But first, let me tell you a few things about this book. Hopefully, you will be reading with us. At the back of your notes, on the very bottom, it says, join us in reading about the advancing kingdom. This week, we're going to be reading Acts chapters 1 through 5, and I'm going to be preaching from here today. But I would hope that you would be reading in this as, as, uh, as a church family. And then We get together on Sunday mornings and talk about some of the things we've been reading, and we could be on the same page. But let me give you a little insight of what this book is about. You see the name Acts. What's Acts all about? Title for this book really comes from this idea that it is the actions of the apostles. It is the actions of the apostles. And you're saying, well, now what's an apostle? Apostle simply is one who has been sent by God sent by God with a mission, sent by God with a message. These are the initial followers of Jesus who were following, and now they're being sent out. We've talked about how we are sent ones as well. We are following, but we are also sent out into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our schools. This book that we're going to be reading for the next few weeks is The Actions of the Early Apostles. It's ultimately the actions, though, of Jesus. It's the actions of his spirit in ordinary people like you and me, because this kingdom is advancing. And so God is advancing this kingdom through sent ones, through ordinary people like you and me, who acknowledge, yes, Jesus is the Savior. He's the one that changes my life. He's the one that makes all things right in my life. And it's also that we are sent by this very spirit that lives in us. This is a crazy thing, but that God would place his spirit in us as we trust Jesus. And he sends us out to be light and missionaries, in essence, to this world. Well, as we get to this point where we're going to read today, the story is that Jesus has been crucified. We remembered this a few weeks ago, that he was raised from the dead. And as I was writing that down and thinking of that this week, I, just, I had to pause again. 
And instead of saying, oh yeah, that's a fact, and we celebrate it on Easter, it was like, wait a second. Jesus was crucified. That means he was killed, which means he died. Miraculously, he was raised to life. That I just had to stop at that again. And I think you and I have to remember this. It's not just, oh yeah, he was crucified and raised to the... Wait, he was raised from the dead. If that happened today, that would be headlines of the Democrat Herald. This is big news. Somebody who was crucified, we saw him dead. He's walking around. Jesus was walking around. He was appearing to more than 500 people over a period of 40 days. I don't want us to lose sight of this. Before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says some things to his followers who he is sending out who will be the apostles. And one of the things he says, it's found in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will be empowered to be my witnesses. Jesus said this. He's not just saying, I'm taking off and good luck, guys. He says, I want you to know that you will be empowered. Dynamic power will be given to you to be my witnesses to be able to speak about me, to show my love. You will be empowered. That God is going to advance his kingdom through us as ones who are empowered. And so Jesus said, you're going to do this in Jerusalem. They were in the city of Jerusalem. And he says, you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses in this city. Some of these people like you, some of them don't. You're also going to be my witnesses in this area called Judea. It's bigger than the city. You're actually going to the place where people really don't like you, Samaria. And I know you don't like them either, but I want you to go to the people you don't like. And in fact, we're going to take this message to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, I'm empowering you, ordinary you knuckleheads, by the Spirit of God to go and take this message all over because the kingdom is advancing. Well, Jesus ascended to heaven. They're like, whoa, where is he? And he's gone. They stayed in Jerusalem for 10 days because there was another historical day in Jerusalem taking place. We now call that Pentecost. Write this down. Like, ah, I've heard of like a Pentecostal church. Pentecost literally means 50th. 50th. It's the 50th day after the Passover, this Jewish holiday, this celebration where Jesus was crucified. It's been 50 days. Back in that time, they called it the Feast of Weeks. It was seven weeks, 49, 50 days. And the idea is that you'd gather in Jerusalem and remember that God had done this great Passover, and that's part of their ancient history. But you'd come back to Jerusalem on this 50th day. It was also called the Feast of First Fruits, that you'd come and give your first fruits to the Lord. Yes, he's rescued us, but we want to come in and just say, Lord, you've given to us. We want to give back. And so many people came to Jerusalem 50 days after the Passover. They came in, Jewish people that were living in many different countries had come for this special day. They were speaking all different languages wherever they were from, but they had this Jewish descent. But on this specific day, and this is why it's a historic day, not only because it has some culture or history to it, but Jesus specifically was going to send the Holy Spirit in a special way to his believers so that they all of a sudden started speaking in different languages of the people who had come from different countries. 
All of a sudden, this was God's plan to say, listen, I've got this amazing message I got to get out, that my son lived this sinless life, that he was crucified. Believe it or not, he was raised from the dead, that he's the one that holds the power of life. He is the Savior of the world, and i got to get this message out to all different language groups. You see, God couldn't just tweet this, all right? He wants to get this to the world wide web. And he says, here's how we're going to do it. People from different nations are going to come in and I'm going to get this message out because all of a sudden they're going to hear it in their own language. Now this happens in Acts chapter 2. You can be reading about this this week. And the message starts to go out. People start hearing about Jesus in their own native language and they're like, what? Jesus was the Messiah. He was crucified. He was raised to life. This is something big. And it says that 3,000 people all of a sudden turned their life over to the Lord. 3,000 people said, man, I need this Jesus. I believe that this is the one that God sent. I believe he's the one that's going to make me right with God. And it says 3,000 people were added to their number because the kingdom of God is advancing. Now, certainly in a crowd, there were some who doubted. There's people who joke about this and said, I think they're all drunk because I can't understand the language they're talking about. Some doubted. Not only that, some protested. Not only that, some opposed the Jesus followers. And when there was opposition, what that caused is that the Jesus followers had to start banding together. They said, wait a second, we're not liked in our city here. We're not welcomed here. Some people do not like us because of Jesus. And so the family had to gather together. Typically, we don't have to gather together because there's not necessarily a whole lot of opposition in our city, in our state, in our country. But you know, certain places around the world, there are. And the body has to gather together. The believers have to connect together and band together. And this is critical because God has designed us to need him and others. Write this down if you would. We're going to see this in this story that God has designed us to need him and others. Now, some of you came today, I imagine, because you say, you know what? I need some more of God. I need the music. I need the teaching. I need whatever. I need God. Okay, yeah, that is true. You do. I do. But another reason we show up, and sometimes you and I forget this, is that we need each other. Sometimes you might show up and say, oh, I need to go talk to somebody. But how often on a Sunday morning do we wake up and say, you know what, I need to show up because somebody actually might need me. This is the way God designed us, to not only need him, but that we need each other. The early church, they knew this. There's much opposition, and they're like, I know I need God, but I need brothers and sisters. I need this family. I think sometimes you and I remember that we need our creator, but I think a lot of times we forget that we need each other or that somebody might need you. Anyway, I said this last week, and I want you to write it down again, that self-reliance has no place in the kingdom of God. Self-reliance has no place in the kingdom of God. Self-reliance, not just from God, but self-reliance like, okay, I got God and that's enough. Listen, that's not enough. That's not the way he designed it. He didn't design it. You know what? Just go be a monk and hide out. Yes, you need God, but you need each other. Self-reliance has no place in his kingdom. 
And if you show up and just say, you know what, I got something today and it was good for me, all right, I'm happy for you. But that's not the end of it. You need other people who have the Spirit of God to bless you. They need you as well. And so this is where we find ourselves when we get to Acts chapter 4. We're going to talk about the church family. And as you read this week, chapters 1, 2, and 3, you'll, you'll see some of the things we just talked about. By the time we get to chapter 4, Peter and John, and we've talked about them in the last few weeks, they were arrested for talking about Jesus. They're talking about, man, this Jesus, he was crucified, he's raised to life, he's God, you need to turn to him. And the religious leaders said, uh, we want them handed over to the law, we want them arrested, they're, they're just speaking craziness. And they were told not to speak about Jesus. They were told not to teach about Jesus. There were threats against Peter. There were threats against John. Eventually, they're released. I want you to notice what they did. Go to verse 23, if you would. Chapter 4, verse 23. They're released after being arrested, and it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends. And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them about don't talk about Jesus, don't teach in his name. And when this group heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Here's a quick picture of what happened. They went in their time of trial. They went to their family. They didn't just say, okay, you know what, we need to seclude and hide. They, they went to their friends. They went to their family. And they said, family, here is what's being told of us. And then if you notice this, as a family, they went where? They went to God. They went to the father of this spiritual family. They went first to their spiritual family, but then the family got together and said, let's take this to the father of our spiritual family. And they prayed. Go down to verse 31, if you would. I'll let you read the prayer later, but let's go down to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They continued. Though they were told not to, they continued with boldness. You see, here's what happens. When they connect with God, when they connect with family, God meets them in a mighty way to the fact that the room shakes. They have boldness to go out. It wasn't that they just read their Bible on their own. It's like, okay, this is nice. I'll just journal it. They got together with God, with the family, and God meets them there in a mighty way, and they have boldness to go out. Go to verse 32, if you would. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I would underline that if I were you. One heart, one soul. They were knit together and no one said that any, any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now listen, I, I believe they disagreed about politics. They probably disagreed about their favorite sports teams. Okay, They disagreed with people with different personality types. But when it came down to what truly mattered, they agreed. Verse 33, and it says, and with great Power, mega power is the actual word, mega power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace or mega grace was upon them all. 
As they gather, God gives them mega power. He pours out mega grace to cover them. Verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them. Wow. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what, they had, of what was sold. And they laid it to, at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the early church family. A couple things as I look at this passage. I want you to write these down. Church family was one united body. One united body. And the reality is church is God's design. It still is his design. One of the pictures we see is that it's not just another word for church. We see a picture of a body. A body. Write this down. It might even be in your notes. I can't remember. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 4. Just read about how we are all part of one family. Another picture of that is a body. That a body works together. The pinky doesn't just jump off the hand and go, you know what, I want to go hang out over here. It just doesn't happen. All the members work together. The reality is they hurt together too, don't they? All right? My back's a little sore. I don't know, too much lawn mowing yesterday or something. But my, whole, my back hurts. My whole body's just kind of like, oh, man, I'm sorry. We all hurt, all right? This is what the church family is, one united body. Second thing I want you to see from this passage in Acts 4 is this, that the church family mutually supported each other. This is amazing, that the church family supported each other. They understood that they needed each other, and they were ending up being there for each other. I want you to know this, that you and I, we need each other, and you, "Ah, I don't know, I really don't need too many people. And it's easy to say that when there's not necessarily a whole lot of opposition. But you start to realize this when your life falls apart, right? You start realizing, um, I need God and I I actually do need somebody else. I, I need some help in my life. This early church, they realized that church wasn't a Sunday event. I'm going to church. They realized that church wasn't a Sunday event. They realized that church was a family, that church is a family, that we share a common need for God and each other. Maybe even some of you said it today. Hurry up. We're going to be late for church. Church isn't an event. Or you say, you know what? I go down to this church on 3rd Street. Church isn't a building or a location. Church is a family. Church is a family. And it's a family where we need God and we need each other. Here's one of the realities for us is that we are in the minority. Even in this one nation under God, we are in the minority. It probably will get worse. And there will be a time where we realize more and more, you know what, we need each other. It would be better if we understood right now that we need God and we need each other before it gets really bad for us. Because when that time happens and you're like, uh, I've actually been going to this church for years, but I don't know anybody, that ain't good. You need to be a part of this family and belong to this family because God is advancing his kingdom and he's doing it through his family. 
we have different events at the church. And I mean, once in a while, we have a comedian come in and, and partly just so that we can laugh and things like that. But even in that, it was multiple churches getting together and connecting for a big comedy night we had a couple nights ago. But most of our events, if not all of our events, are not just so that we would keep you entertained, but so that you would connect to God and with others. We would say we have community groups so that you could connect with God and others. We have softball teams so that, yes, you can play a little softball, but hopefully you'll be able to connect with God and with others. You name it, these events are so that we would connect with God and with others because this is what you need. This is what I need. We had one of those events recently. Again, it wasn't to entertain, but it was to strengthen one another. It was to strengthen the family. It's called the Women's Retreat. We had it a couple weeks ago. I didn't go, so I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm going to ask Roanne Berge, who's our Women's Ministry Director, to come up with Melissa Slider and Anne-Marie Peterson. Would you welcome them up here, please? Ladies, come on up. Roanne leads women's ministry, and I just love Roanne in that, yes, she has a great understanding of her need for God and her need for others. And she, with the help of many others, put on this retreat. Tell us a little bit about the theme. And the theme was like party on because we don't have to be home with the husbands and kids anymore. Or what was the name wrong, of it? Wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. The theme, longing to belong, mm. deepening intimacy with God and one another. Mm. And women's ministry team um, that prays a lot. This is an annual opportunity for women to really come closer to God um, and one another. But we prayed a lot about what, what is our theme this year. God, we need to know that. So that was through a lot of prayer. And we were blessed with Melissa Mills being our worship leader. You heard her beautiful voice. We had a wonderful speaker, Patty Laughlin. And then just the women themselves, when the sign-up sheet went out to the welcome desk, who knows? God knows. I mean, who signed up? 38 women. Yeah. And here, I forgot to mention this first service. Yep. This was just so exciting. I could not imagine how God had orchestrated that. We had 20 to mid-70s. All ages of women. Powerful. Mentoring. Sharing. It was awesome. And I just want to have Melissa share some of her experience as well as Anne-Marie. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Melissa Slider, and my husband Nick and I have been coming to Willamette for about a year and a half now. We have a son named Lucas who's in third grade here at uh, Albany Christian School. So, yeah, the title of uh, this retreat really spoke to my heart and really mo motivated me to sign up and go. Uh, those are things that I really want in my life. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can possibly can. And I do want meaningful relationships. Uh, but I have my own agenda for that. I want it to be inside my bubble, and there is... Uh, a line of how much I would share. So there's a lot of fear. There is, uh, I get hesitant of being vulnerable. So that's how I went. But uh, our speaker, Patty, she started on Friday night sharing what you shared today, that self-sufficiency, it's not the point of our journey. 
that the point is really to trust. And that really spoke to my heart. Uh, so I did. I did step out in faith, and I, I trusted Jesus' leading on what he was bringing to my mind, what he really wanted me to share with the women in my group. And I trusted them too, each one of those women. And I can't even begin to say how much I did experience that intimacy with Jesus and with them. Uh, I call them my heart friends now. Uh, we got together yesterday for coffee and more sharing and more prayer. And it just reinforces how we are created as uh, relational beings and we do need each other. And it amazes me how God can get my broken, messed up story and encourage somebody with it, mm. and how he can encourage me by others' story. Um, when I was asked to share, uh, what, what the Lord brought to me was Psalm 34, verse 8, that says, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, but taste, taste is an action. To be able to taste something, I need to be willing to actually put it in my mouth and try it. And that's, that's what trust is. It's to really trust in him. And I did that, and I did see that he is good. He is moving. Um, yeah. Good. Thank you, Melissa. Anne-Marie, share a little about your experience at the retreat, if you would, please. Um, again, my name is Anne-Marie Peterson. I go to church here with my husband, Stan, and my daughter and son-in-laws and their three children. Um, we've gone here since January of 2016. I, just a little bit about myself. I had a family caregiving situation for about six years, and so my fellowship was limited. I was able to attend um, Sunday church and some women's Bible studies. Um, but about a year ago, that situation changed for me, so I've been able to um, be more a part of the church body here um, through doing some of the um, helping with events, nursery, women's Bible studies, community group. And so it's good, and I knew that I wanted to be connected more. And the title of the um, retreat just really drew me in because you can't get enough of Jesus. And then um, I knew I wanted to be more connected with women. But I almost talked myself out of it. I have never been to a retreat before. And I knew I would be uncomfortable. I'd be awkward. And I just didn't think that I could handle going. And then the Lord changed my heart and... Philippians 2 tells us to regard others' needs and interests higher than our own. And when I started to do that, he, he did that for me before I even set foot in or near the retreat um, location. He was preparing my heart, and so I just started thinking about others. And he is so faithful and so powerful, he just um, started speaking to me and... Um, so once I got there, it was just amazing. It was one of the mountaintop experiences of my Christian walk, and I've been saved for 41 years, so mm. it was something. It was awesome. 
So um, Patty Laughlin was very good, and um, a scripture that she shared was Psalm 84, and I love to wake up to this. It puts my heart in the right gear. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, and he is the living God. And um, I want to meet him every day, and it's spurred me on to not neglect that. So I came away with that, a deeper relationship with the Lord in that way. And then as far as women, um, the spirit of the Lord just united us. Um, We were 38 women with all different stories and all different backgrounds, but we were united in love and in purpose. And um, women shared life stories. Um, Just as Melissa shared, we just were able to open up because of his leading and we were listened and loved each other and we were comfortable with each other so um, I just want to praise him for that and uh, encourage anybody who um, uh, you should we need to be connected we need each other and now from that the small group setting was very good there was different settings Um, the Holy Spirit was just powerful he um, prompted me to pray for a lady that was not understanding the grace of God. She was stuck in works. He was just he was just constantly speaking and leading me, and I praise him for it. So there is power yeah. in, in being together with God and then each other. And I do um, think of you ladies, and I love you ladies, and I think of you, and I pray for you. And um, I want you to keep me accountable. And um, I'm just blessed by it all, so praise him. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Rowan, and I appreciate what you said. God poured out mega power, mega grace on you, and he's doing that. Uh, Real quickly, on those retreats, I mean, frankly, the only ones that go to retreats other than uh, Anne-Marie are just the ones who want to get away, and they're all excited about this. Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Tell us about that real quickly, who showed up. Women that overcame fear, overcame excuses, had the promptings of others. It's like we all have excuses, and it takes great courage to step out in faith like Melissa was saying, taste. It takes courage. And it was through the work of this body, truly. This is where the family of WCC makes a huge impact. If you don't realize how God's using you, let this be an example your prayers supported these women in spirit to step up and be there. And we needed scholarship monies for some women who said, you know, I'd like to be there, but money's short. Thank you for your outpouring. That made possible for women to come. And even some women last-minute cancellation said, no, no, someone else go in my place. And the men, I forgot to mention this. I'm going to have to send them a letter Okay, so the wives go, husbands who are a lot, dads, they did it. Yay! (laughs) They took care of the home front and the kiddos, and that was a blessing. And special thanks to Nick Slider. I mean, the guy did these amazing centerpieces. It is all family-oriented. God bless you. Good. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you, Melissa and Anne-Marie. Let's tell them thank you one more time. 
appreciate that picture of what we're reading here in Acts 4 is that they bonded together and realized uh, we are family. We need God, but we certainly need each other. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm understanding again, God is advancing his kingdom, and it's happening through family. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Every family is dysfunctional, right? I mean, your family is dysfunctional. My family is dysfunctional. This thing called Willamette Community Church, we're dysfunctional, all right? We are. That's part of this. God understands this, that even his family is dysfunctional. One of the reasons, though, we forget uh, that the family of God is the tool that God is advancing his kingdom is that we just have this dysfunction. And and part of that dysfunction is the fact that we just focus on ourselves or we focus on each other and the problems. It's like, "Mm, I don't like your sports team. We're not going to talk. I don't like your political views. We're not going to talk. I don't even like the fact that you are so self-centered and talk about yourself. We're just not going to talk. And when we start thinking about this, this is what I don't like about you We can't advance the kingdom because we forget that it's about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's not about us. It's not about our sports teams. It's not about our political views. It's not about even ourselves. And we're a little dysfunctional at times. We get focused on, this is why I don't like you, as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm just so glad that I've been included into the family of God. And I'm glad that you're included in the family of God. And when we think about him and his family and his kingdom, all of a sudden it's like, I don't really care which sports team you like. I don't even, I can overlook all your self-centered traits. I can overlook my self-centered traits because we're about a greater mission. And so I think sometimes we forget that through this family, God wants to advance this kingdom. Well, speaking of a dysfunctional family, I want to show you a dysfunctional family. Jesus talked about one in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to ask that you turn there because I want to just briefly mention this. But in your notes, it says Luke chapter 15. I'd like you to read this story this week because Jesus tells a story. Actually, it's a parable. It's this story with a lesson. And he talks about a dysfunctional family because the reality is... We are in this dysfunctional family. There's one son in this family, and what he wants is he wants to leave the family. He just says, I want to go out and do my own thing. So he asks dad, he says, dad, would you just give me your inheritance now or my inheritance now? In other words, I just wish you were dead so that I could have my money because I want to go spend it the way I want to spend it. Dad says, okay, I'm going to let you go and do this. And so there is this one son that Jesus talks about in this story, and this one son is selfish. Would you write this down? Because I think some of us fit this son's description. He spends his inheritance on wild living. Some of us have done that. And what I want you to see is that selfishness breaks down the family. Selfishness breaks down your family. Selfishness breaks down the church, the family of God. Breaks it down so that it doesn't advance like it should. Frankly, selfishness, it kills you. If you would examine your heart and say, okay, when I've been selfish, man, that's actually bringing about much destruction. Jesus says there's one son and he's quite selfish. And when you and I are selfish with our time, I don't have time for this retreat. I don't have time to serve here. I don't have time to do that because it's my time. 
When you and I are selfish with our possessions, I'm not going to loan it out. I'm not going to give to this fund. It breaks down the family. When you and I are selfish with our agenda, we actually cause God's family to be dysfunctional. Our selfishness causes God's family to be even more dysfunctional. Well, Jesus goes on to say, let me tell you about another son in this family. One was selfish, but there's another son, and he's kind of a goody two-shoes. And as soon as I said that in my mind, I'm like, what does goody two-shoes mean? So I had to Google that and, you know, figure out how to spell it and all that. But anyway, you can look that up later. But here's this one son, and he just, he tries to do everything right. And he shows up to church all the time, and he doesn't want to make dad mad. But the problem is, he never even knows dad. He never goes out with wild living. He just stays home and tries to be good, but he never gets to know dad. This, problem, this son had a problem, and it's this, that he was self-righteous. One son's selfish, but one son is self-righteous. An example would be churchgoers, okay? We say, man, I've never gone out and squandered my life on wild living, though some of you would say you have, but many of you would sit there and go, you know what, I'm actually self-righteous and I'm judgmental and I point fingers. And, and Jesus says, this son, he looked down on his brother who had failed. He doesn't reach out to his brother who's going off and making mistakes. Oh, he never disappoints the father, but frankly, he never knew the father. And I want you to hear this, the self-righteousness breaks down the family. Self-righteousness breaks down the family of God. When you look at others who are in this church family or just outside this church family and you look and your nose is turned up a bit, you are causing much dysfunction to them. I've done this in my life. Remember in college, someone went out to talk to kids on the street. and They found out they were from Dallas, Oregon. And the guy from college says, oh, Dallas, Oregon, do you know Scott Miller? And he's like, yeah, what a snob. Self-righteous. I look down on this person because they didn't wear khaki pants and a collared shirt to church, you know, whatever it was. As some of us are that, that causes dysfunction in the family when we look down at others. Frankly, Jesus' sharpest messages, sharpest tone was to who? Not the sinners, the ones who would go to church that would look down at people outside this building. And when you and I are self-righteous, that's actually causing dysfunction in this family. Here are two thoughts, selfishness, self-righteousness. I don't know which one you are. I'm a little of both, okay, or a lot of both, all right? And when we live in that, it brings about dysfunction. But there's one more son in this story. As you read this in Luke chapter 15, there's the selfish son and the self-righteous son, but there's one more son, and he's actually the one who's telling the story. This son was the Savior, the one telling the story was Jesus. He's the one that says, says, I have the remedy for this. Yes, you're selfish. Yes, you're self-righteous. But I'm here to save you from that. He's the one who saves us from these sins of selfishness. He's the one that saves us from these sins of self-righteousness. He's the one who brings you into his kingdom 
He's the glue that holds this family together. We'd like to say with Roanne and Melissa and Anne Maria, it's like, oh, they're heroes. Listen, Jesus is the hero that glues all of that together. Whenever there's something good that goes on here, it's not like, oh, man, we're heroes. No, Jesus is the one that glues, keeps this family together. And the kingdom is advancing through his family. I want you to reflect on your own heart, like, okay, his kingdom is going to advance through family. I'm part of this family. Selfishness is going to kill this family. Self-righteousness, woo, going to blow this family out of the water. Going to make it so unappealing to anybody else. They, they don't want to be a part of this club. We just stick our nose up in the air and we judge. And God's kingdom is advancing, but it's happening through family. Where you express your need to him, you express your need to each other. Selfishness and self-righteousness, we confess that and we move forward to the Savior. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to close our time together by taking communion. And it's a time where we get together and we remember, we remember the one who's at the core of this family. We remember that, yes, we need him. We need our brothers and sisters. And it would be good for you to figure this out, that you need your brothers and sisters before you are so desperate that you have no connection with them, and you're like, oh, now I'm really lost. It'd be better that we figure that out now, today, as we spend some time remembering the one who's at the core of the family. I'm going to ask you in a bit after I pray to come up to one of these four stations here today, grab a piece of bread, it's a symbol of the body that was broken for you, the body of Jesus. It's just a piece of bread, but it helps you to remember that his body was crushed for you. It was broken for you so that you could be included into this family where you constantly need him and we need each other. I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to grab a cup of juice. Again, nothing special with the juice, but it's going to be a symbol to help you remember that the blood of Jesus was poured out so that you could have forgiveness of your sins, so that you could be included into a family, so that you would constantly be reminded, I have a great need for God. I actually have a need for my family. They actually have a need for me. The blood of Jesus, it covers selfishness, covers self-righteousness, covers all of this. I think when we forget these things, and this is why we take communion together once a month, when we forget about Jesus, it's pretty easy to forget about his kingdom. And when we forget about his kingdom, it's pretty easy for us to fall back into selfishness. Or for some of us, it's pretty easy to fall back into self-righteousness. Pretty easy for us then to cause great dysfunction. We're going to come together today and remember the, the one who's at the core of this family couple phrases I want you to remember regarding Jesus as you eat and drink today, as you worship. One, he's the selfless Savior. Where you are completely selfish, he's completely selfless. That he would give his life as a ransom for many. This is the one we worship. This is the one we connect to. This is the one that includes us into family. Not only is he the selfless Savior, he's the victorious king. And maybe you feel a little defeat in life. 
Maybe you feel a little defeat over your own sin. But the one who is crucified was raised to life. He's the victorious king. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God right now. He's the victorious king. You don't lose sight of that. Jesus is this one. He finishes what he starts. Started a good work in your heart. He's going to carry it on to completion because he's the victorious one. He advances his kingdom today and tomorrow and throughout all eternity through this family. So in just a minute, I'm going to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, and even if today is the first time you say, you know what, I, I need to follow Jesus, I need him, I invite you to come up to one of these two stations or go back there to one of those two stations, to grab a piece of bread, to grab a cup of juice, to go back to your seat and just talk to him, remember him, Confess sin to him. Receive his grace and forgiveness again. Frankly, there's going to be an opportunity for you to rely on a brother or sister. We will have some prayer people up here. If you need prayer, these people are here for that. It'd just be a simple act of faith saying, you know what? I need somebody. Good, good first step. Say, I, I need you to pray for me. But I'm going to ask that you uh, just bow your head with me for a moment and just reflect. Reflect. Reflect on this advancing kingdom of Jesus. And it's advancing through family. Through your need of the Father. And through your need of each other. I know that I need you in my life to encourage and to correct and comfort. I need you and you need me. We need each other. This is the way that God has designed it. But today we're going to remember that Jesus is the core of this family. Without his death, without his resurrection, there's no family. And I would just ask that you would connect with God. Let him speak to your heart. Convict you of your self-reliance. Convict you of your selfishness. Convict you of your self-righteousness. Whatever that might be. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way you have designed this. That we had to call out to you and say, I need you. For the forgiveness of sins, for entrance into your family, all of this, and that I continually need you. I, I thank you for this plan. And God, you know that I can default to self reliance. I certainly default to selfishness. And I can default to self righteousness pretty easily, too. But I thank you that you are a forgiving God. You are an accepting God. You include me. You include my brothers and sisters, not only into a family, but into a kingdom that is advancing against the darkness. And God, this week as we go to work, as we go to school, as we live in our neighborhoods, you are calling us to be a part of advancing your kingdom. And so help us to draw near to you in this time where we eat and we drink in remembrance of you. As we worship you, help us to draw near to you. Speak to each of our hearts. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.